0: Wow, welcome everyone to another special one-night event, a step into the story event, and we are blessed tonight. Um, to be joined by some very special guests, the Elon family, and I'm going to bring them out in just a couple of minutes, but you're about to meet Mika and Gali and Le- Leora and Danielle, and I'm so excited for you guys to get to meet them, and they have a powerful story that they want to bring to us and share with us. Um, but before we get to that, I wanted to take just a moment to maybe set the stage and, and talk about why we're here and how we got here. Um, obviously, we have all been following the news and watching events as they unfold in Israel. And we know that what happens in Israel reverberates around the world. And we feel the effects of of what has happened ever since the attacks of Hamas terrorists on October the 7th. And, And so tonight, as I prayed about it, Lord, what is this night about God spoke three things to my heart. And he said, number one, it's about awareness, bringing awareness to the body. I do feel like there's um, just a lot of ignorance out there, a, lot of, a lack of, uh, of knowledge about what has happened, and, and some of the lead storylines are being buried in the press. And so we're going to put a spotlight on, on some of those things tonight. And so we're going to bring awareness. And, and by hearing these firsthand accounts and testimonies, that makes you all witness. So you'll be equipped to share with others what you've seen and heard tonight. I think another important aspect of what we're doing here tonight is it's about solidarity. As believers in the Bible, as followers of Jesus, we recognize that we we serve a Jewish Messiah. Our scriptures were written by Jewish people. All the events of the Bible happened in Israel and all of God's promises to us regarding the future flow through the Jewish people. And so we want our Jewish friends to know they have friends and they have support here in the United States with Christians. Can you say amen? Thirdly, this night is about prayer. That's what we do. And when things fall apart, we fall on our knees. Amen? And so we are going to end the night in prayer. But uh, you're also going to hear from Danielle Moore, who is our personal friend from Israel, and she's our partner who works in the Jewish Agency. This church has a long-standing relationship with the Jewish Agency. They're one of our founding partners in our Nehemiah Fund, going all the way back to 2007, and primarily they work with Jews from around the world who are trying to make Aliyah, that is, they're trying to repatriate and build a new life for themselves in the land of Israel, but they also do a lot of relief efforts, and, and they've been working, With um, those impacted and affected from the attacks on October 7th. And and so, after everything unfolded, Danielle met this family and they wanted to share their story. And she thought, I know of a church in San Diego that would love to to partner with us. And, And so, she's the catalyst of bringing the Elone family out here. But let me just remind you of what happened on October 7th. Just listen to these statistics. In that day, 9,500 rockets were fired into Israel from Gaza and Lebanon. 1,200 civilians and soldiers were murdered, which makes it, of course, the single largest massacre of Jewish people in a single day since the Holocaust, just to, to put that into perspective. Over 240 men, women, elderly, and children were kidnapped. Now, some good news. About 90 of those have been released. Praise the Lord. And we are praying tonight for the release of every hostage. Amen. There are still about 150 who are being held captive in Gaza. We're praying for their release. This includes babies. There are 5,400 civilians and soldiers who have been injured, another 200,000 people who've been evacuated from their homes, and 360,000 reserve soldiers who have been called up and mobilized and put into active duty, in other words, everyone has been impacted and affected who lives in Israel. Now, the the family you're going to meet is from a kibbutz that is situated just a mile or so away from Gaza. The kibbutz's name is Kibbutz Kafar Aza. I think I said that right. They'll correct me if I'm wrong. It's located, as I said, about a mile from the Gaza Strip. It was established in 1951, so just a couple of years after the establishment of the nation of Israel. And it was home to a thriving community of about 900 residents. And then, of course, on October 7th, there were 70 terrorists that poured through the southern borders, swept into this kibbutz, among various other places. And over the next two days, 68 members of the Jewish community were murdered 18 more were kidnapped and 700 were evacuated from their homes. And so, um, before we get to them, I want to just show you a video. This video highlights what the Jewish Agency is doing and how they're working to meet the needs of Israelis and those impacted from the war. And, and so, if you would just turn your attention to the screen.
1: Our teams are already
2: on the ground. They're working 24-7. We've expanded them dramatically. First and foremost,
1: to address the needs of all of those victims of those horror attacks, victims of terror. This is the biggest crisis of Israel society since 1948. We need to support the victims of terror. We need to support the families.
0: Okay, so that gives you a a bit of a um, thumbnail sketch of just a little bit of the work that the Jewish agency is doing, and I feel so blessed to get to stand up here and say thank you, because on behalf of those of you who partner with this church financially through our Nehemiah Fund, which is a special fund that my father uh, created um, more than 20 years ago, and, and through that fund, we seek to bless Israel and her neighbors in accordance with what the Word of God declares in Genesis 12. I will bless those who bless you, God said to Abraham, and I'll curse those who curse you. And so we have partnered with the Jewish Agency for many years, and just a couple of weeks ago we gave a gift of $50,000 on behalf of Maranatha Chapel towards this work, so praise the Lord, thank you. And now, would you please join me in giving a big, warm Maranatha welcome to our friend Danielle Moore, as well as the Elon family. You guys are loved. You are among friends here. Your microphone is right there. There you go. Everybody say shalom. Great. Did you guys understand that or do you need me to translate? You're good? Daniel I'd love to start with you maybe tell our friends here who don't already know you a little bit about your connection to this church and and your the work that you're doing through uh, the Jewish agency if you would
3: so thank you so much for having us here thank you so much for All you beautiful people coming out here this evening and as Pastor Daniel introduced you came in here as people that are friends people who pray for Israel people who are members of this beautiful community and you will be walking out somewhat different than the way you came in you'll be walking out as witnesses and also me coming here today this evening to Maranatha it's a very different feeling than the times that I was here in the past. I truly feel that I have been blessed personally with this friendship and connection with Maranatha, the connection with dear Pastor Ray of Blessed Memory, the connection with Vicky, connection with you Daniel, with Annie, with Glenn, with Doug, with John, with Sherry, with so many beautiful people here of the community, because you're steadfast support of Israel over the years has meant for us at the Jewish Agency that you were partners in the miracle-like work of Jewish people returning to the land. And when we speak about returning to the land, the guiding principle in that is that why are Jews now returning to the land? How are they able to return to the land? It's because that there is a fundamental promise that the state of Israel made all the way back in 1948 and that the Jewish agency has been so proud to uphold. And that is the promise of never again, never again will there be a situation that a Jewish person is at risk and that there is no salvation. And friends, it is so hard for me to say this, but what happened in Israel on October 7th was that promise was broken. That promise was broken because in the very land that was created with the goal of upholding it, entire communities were at the, there was no mercy. Entire communities suffered from an unexplicable, monstrous massacre attack. And so when we're coming to you today, we're coming from an Israel that is so different than any, any time that you've visited in the past. And I know that some of you have been visiting for many years. It's a different country. It's a different country because of how that promise was broken. It's a country that's in mourning for all the lives that were lost. It's a country that is fighting for its survival with those 360,000 men and women that went out of their homes to protect it. It's a country that is displaced with all the hundreds of thousands, two 200,000 Israelis that are without their home, that they have no home to go back to. And it's a country that is waiting with bated breath for the return of the hostages. And so when we come to you today, we're coming with this message of saying that the promise has to be restored. It must be restored. And in the process of restoring it, you are all witnesses.
0: Thank you. That's powerful. Can you tell everyone about the necklace that you're wearing? It's beautiful, and you shared a little bit about it with us at breakfast this morning, but I'd love it if you could just kind of bring that to the body.
3: So I'm I'm wearing a necklace that was created especially after the October 7th massacres. It looks exactly like the necklace that IDF soldiers wear when they are first enlisted to the IDF. It has two parts in it, one that can be broken off in case that soldier is taken hostage, or in case that that soldier is killed, and then they will be buried with one half of the tag and the other half will be given to the family. And it always says the name and the serial number of that soldier. And at this time, these necklaces were created with the words in Hebrew, our hearts are in Gaza, which obviously references the hostages that all of our hearts are beating for them. And the second part that says, bring them home now. Hmm. And because I know that you all share that with me, we actually have a few here. Would you like to receive one, Pastor Daniel?
0: Yes, I would be honored. Thank you so much, Danielle. And hello, ladies.
1: Hello. Will
0: you, will you introduce yourselves? Tell everyone your names.
2: Uh, my name is Mika.
1: I'm Dali. I'm Leora.
0: And you're going to hear more of their story in just a moment. But Danielle asked if we could start the evening with a candle lighting ceremony. This is something that you do in Israel to honor the memory of those who were, whose lives were lost. And um, why don't you tell everyone about that?
3: So, in, uh, in Judaism, we believe that when a person is taken from us, their soul remains somewhere close to their loved one's, until they are finally taken to be, to be by the side of God. And so in that time, whenever we commemorate either the time that we believe that their soul is still with us or when we know that now it's the month or the year since their passing, we light a candle and we attach to it all of our prayers and all of our love to those individuals that were taken from us and we are praying for their soul and that they will bless us through their righteousness. And so we have here from Israel these two candles, which we call soul candles, and we would like to light them here together with you, specifically in memory of Tal of blessed memory, who is the son of Leora and the father of Gali. And in doing so, we'd ask you all please to rise From your seats, we will light the candles and absorb a moment of silence. Thank you.
0: I'd like to explore a little bit of your, your story and maybe begin at the beginning. Tell us about what it was like growing up in Israel, Leora, and then tell us about kibbutz life. I mean, because I don't know that there's a comparison here in America. And so give us a picture of what that life was like, what attracted you to it. And,
1: um, yeah. Um, well, my name is Leona as you know. Um, I'm, I've been living in Kfar Aza for the last 43 years, since the year of, of 80. Um, I came to that community because I believe that they, it suited my ideals, my, the way of life I wanted for myself, and uh, the way that I wanted to raise my children. Kfar Aza is a very strong community. Um, we we have a lot of fields with agriculture. We have a factory. We all share everything we own uh, together as a common, as a community. Um, whatever we have, uh, until two thousand and four, we were we were fully. Uh, sharing everything, uh, including our salaries, our properties, everything. And um, we eat together our meals in the dining room we we have. We celebrate the holidays together as a community. And uh, and from 2004, we uh, privatized part of our lives, but we're still a community that celebrates together, that lives together, and care for each other. That's kibbutz kv'aza for me.
0: That's beautiful. And they were describing it to me earlier, it's kind of the purest form of communism, right? Where there's there's this shared commonality and shared uh, expenses and everyone seeks to bless one another, and that's a, a bit of the life in the kibbutz, yeah? Yeah. And then Gali, Tell us what it was like growing up in a kibbutz for you. Um,
4: For me, growing up in the kibbutz is do everything with my friends. Like after school, we all meet together at the dining room. We eat together, and then we pick one one person that everyone is going to to his house, and like we are there for the whole day, and holidays we are doing together, and, and I love it.
0: <laughs> and Mika is Gali's cousin, and they're the same age, although Gali told me she's older, but then Mika told me she's taller, so it, it's all fair.
2: <laughs> it balances out.
0: <laughs> and uh, y- you've obviously experienced life on the kibbutz as well with, with your cousin.
2: Yeah. I don't live in the kibbutz. Um, I live uh, kind of far away, but since both Gali and my grandma and another uncle of mine and basically like, like and almost my whole family lives in the kibbutz, um, then I kind of grew up there too. It's kind of like a second home to me and I have only good memories from that kibbutz Um, because I only went there on like happy occasions, pretty much, and yeah.
0: Now you moved there, Gali, when you were four with your parents, so tell us a little bit about your son, Tal, and maybe what drew him back to the kibbutz life, he went away for a while, and and tell us what drew him back. And and then just please, paint a picture for us of your son.
1: Okay. Tal is the funniest person on earth, right? He's very funny and very serious about everything that he does. I mean, um, when he works, he's the most professional person in the world. When he's with his family, Gali will tell you, but I know that he's the best father on earth. Um, He loves the the sea. Uh, He was a skipper. he cooked, he cooks the best food in, on earth. Um, as a matter of fact, every time we met for family dinner, Tal and my other son Juan were both cooking, I was washing dishes. <laughs>
4: um, my dad was the bravest like, person I've ever known. He was my, my hero and my safest, safest place. Um, I never was afraid when he was, like, with me. Never. He... You, can, you can't, like, feel alone or sad or, like, afraid of something when he's around because he's always, like, care about you and you feel well and make you laugh and smile and you can't like not smile when you see his smile
0: thank you for sharing that couldn't have been easy and i just want to say that all of you are my hero and your strength and your bravery is inspiring and i think i speak for all of us when i say that
2: Thank you.
0: Yes. Now, when he came back, he volunteered uh, to, to oversee the defense of the kibbutz. Is that right? Can you talk about that?
1: Um, Tal was the commander of the local defense team, um, which, uh, which is voluntarily a job that he took upon himself. Uh, he trained the volunteer. Um, defense team uh, for for quite few years, uh, and he was the first out to get out, the first one to get out of the house whenever there was needed uh, to defend the kibbutz from attacks or from um, penetrating of um, terrorists, which happened many years ago. Uh, but then there was one or two. Terrorists, which uh, were you know, very fast, not danger anymore.
0: I know this is going to be hard for you, but would you mind walking us through what happened on October 7th?
1: <laughs> I want to start on October 6th. Um, I, ha- I told you that I have four uh, kids, Two of them live in the kibbutz, Gali's family and my other son's family. Uh, we were all. We decided to all meet for Simchat Torah, which is a holiday, Jewish holiday, uh, which was held on that day weekend. So um, Tal's sister, Mika's mother, and Mika picked up my youngest son Ron from the airport. He was abroad and he just came home. So they picked him up on Friday afternoon uh, from the airport and came to the kibbutz. As we usually do, we, we had dinner at uh, Tal's and Mazi's house. We were all there, the four kids and their families and me, um, celebrating. It was our
4: last meal together. And, um,
2: and Tal cooked his uh, his famous food and his famous rice that I loved so much. And it really was uh, a, a great dinner. yeah, it was it was a great dinner. We, we laughed like we always do. And um, yeah, you can't really go through a family dinner with 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 uh, Tal and not laugh so much. And uh, yeah.
1: Then you two had decided, like you very often do, to come over my house.
2: Yeah, me and Gali, since we're the same age, and, uh, and, we, yeah,
4: and we're cousins. And we went to sleep at Safta's house. We had like a sleepover.
1: <laughs> so we all went uh, to my house, Gali, um, Gali, Mika, Mika's mother, Ron, my youngest son, and me. Uh, we went to, the, to my house, and soon enough, we went to beds. Um, and we woke up
4: at 6 a.m. in the morning from um Tseva Adom.
2: Tseva Adom. is code, code red. red. Um, it's basically uh, when, I don't know uh, what, how much you know, but um, when there are rockets being sent towards us, and we need to go into the bomb shelter room that most houses in Israel have, and especially the ones that are in the far south. and And it's not an unusual thing, really. It kind of came out of the blue, but but since they live so close to the Gaza Strip, then then it happens uh, sometimes. And you just it's like it's a routine. You go into the bomb shelter room, you wait. Uh, I don't know, 10 minutes and go out.
4: So that what we were thinking, like a couple of minutes and then we go back to sleep.
1: That morning I was fantasizing for my first cup of coffee, 6 o'clock in the morning almost 6.30 but that never happened. Uh, Soon enough um, uh, Gali saw on uh, her WhatsApp group that uh, somebody reported that there are parachutes over the kibbutz, right, with terrorists?
4: They wrote at um, the group, the WhatsApp group, that terrorists land in the kibbutz and they got in and my friends started to write me we have a terrorist at our house and they trying to open the door and I'm feeling so helpless that I can't do anything when the when my friends are in trouble and I have nothing to do with it.
1: So we all closed the uh, sheltered room's door and the sheltered room's window, thanks to Gali, who told me to close uh, the iron uh, window that was there. And from that on, for 35 long hours, my son Ron and my daughter Hadas stood at the door holding the handle one hour at a time each while the other one is resting. Because I need to tell you that uh, the sheltered room cannot be locked. It is meant to save, uh, to be able to, uh, to save the people who are stuck inside from the outside and it's again against bo- bombs not against people trying to get in from the outside, okay? So you can't lock the sheltered room, and therefore my son and my daughter needed to stand there and hold the handle, so if terrorists come from the outside, they won't be able to uh, unlock the door and shoot us. You want to add something?
2: Okay. Um, at about, I think it was like twelve, twelve a.m. Mm-hmm. Um, on Saturday. <clears throat> um, after a while of of seeing people texting in the group chats of the kibbutz, help there in my house. Suddenly we hear um, loud shout shouting from like the outside, and we're trying to figure out if if they're shouting in Hebrew or in Arabic, and then we hear like. We clearly hear them shouting in Arabic. And the next thing we hear is uh, a glass shattering, uh, like a really loud
4: glass shattering, and then shooting everywhere. We understand that they shut the windows, and now they can camp. Now they're in the house and, right, any moment they could
2: open the, the, the door. At that moment, me and Gali, uh, when we realized that, um, me and Gali went into like under the bed we both went under the bed and like uh, tried to like make
4: ourselves as small as we could get we saw that if the terrorists will get into the safe room maybe they won't look it um, under the bed and if everyone is gonna die maybe we'll survive it I um, um, I remember uh, my
2: mom was holding. Uh, she just grabbed a knife that was uh, that was uh, in the room, and my uncle was holding the door with two hands, and my mom was holding a knife in one hand and helping him with the other, and.
1: Okay, so the shooting went on and on and on, and we had hand grenades, and we had RPGs, and we heard shoot, shooting, a lot of shooting, a lot of noise. It was very, very scary.
2: And they even tried to... to they wrestled on the, the handle, the door
1: handle. Right, and at some point, the terrorists just tried to open the door and my son and my daughter were fighting them from the other side of the room, from our side of the room. Um, Fortunately enough, they didn't succeed in opening the door and they gave up on it because uh, there were soldiers shooting into the house already and they had to fight back, so they left the door. The shooting went on, and at some point, uh, the soldiers managed to kill the terrorists that were in the house, but unfortunately, many soldiers were wounded during this attack, and once they uh, killed the terrorists, they started to bring all the wounded soldiers inside my house. Uh, and apparently my house became a field hospital for those who were injured and wounded uh, at that time. Um, We were still inside the sheltered room, calling them, asking them if they need help, if 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 there's something we can do, but they shouted us back, don't open the door, stay inside the room, we have everything we need. Um, Uh, at that point, uh, after, while they're treating the, the wounded soldiers, um, we asked them to please let us out for a second to go to the bathroom, which didn't do since Friday evening. Um, we had no water, we had no food. Um, so they let us out for a second, that's how we saw. The bloodshed that was all over the house, on the floors, on the sofa, everywhere was very hard to see
4: When the soldiers get into the safe room and we saw their faces, it was like so no. hopeful.
3: It, and it felt hopeful
4: mm-hmm. like okay, you can breathe there from our side and we are safe for now. So, me and Mika got out of the the bed, the bed, like and under the bed. Yeah. And and we talked to the to the soldiers, which they asked me to to add them to the WhatsApp group, so people can send locations um, if they have terrorists in their house, so the soldiers will know where to go. And one thing I remember is the soldiers,
2: and the when they came in the safe room, they were asking us if we happened to have um, a map of the kibbutz um, like laying around somewhere, because uh, that proved me how unprepared and everyone was for that attack. They didn't even have a map of the kibbutz, and people were telling them, come to this neighborhood, and they didn't even know where that was. So.
1: At that point, Uh, the two soldiers who who came into the sheltered room asked uh, Gali and me, because we were the only one who who actually live in the kibbutz, they asked us to show them uh, where where are the people who are crying for help. So Gali did two things. First, she put them into the WhatsApp group of the kibbutz so they can get the calls themselves. Right, Gali? And then we opened a Google map of the kibbutz, and Gali showed them where her friends live and where the family who are asking for help, uh, the ones she knew where they lived, she showed them exactly the houses where they live, and I showed them the houses of the people who I know where we live because, you know, Gali is young, so she knows where the young one lives, and I am older, and I know where my friends live, and together we built them a picture on the map of the houses of the people who were crying for help time went on and on and uh, apparently they evacuated the wounded soldiers from the house they stayed for a while longer to make sure uh, that there are not any other terrorists around the area but then they left and we were alone again shut in the sheltered room five people uh, alone at about 3.15 on Saturday afternoon, connection went off, no cellular connection anymore, and our phones were dead, Except, uh, except for this young lady's cell phone, which somehow had a connection. From that point on, Gali, this 15, almost 16 years old, conducted the connection with the world through her phone while we are directing her, uh, instructing her, but she was the one giving the army orders, telling them where we are, sending location.
4: Thank you. you.
2: She was uh, both like, direct him, directing them towards us and directing them towards others who are wounded at the same time. She was just amazing.
3: And while all this is happening, they're already aware that some of their best friends, their neighbors, are, are gone. Have been murdered. They understand that people are abducted. And under this reality, Gali, Mika, Liora, they are struggling to survive and struggling to save
1: others. <laughs> Saturday evening, the electricity went off, and we were without cellular connection except Gali's phone, and in a 100 percent darkness, because the door was closed, the window was closed with an iron uh, shelter, and there's very, very little air coming into the house. At that point, it was hard to breathe. In few hours, it was hard to breathe.
2: Um, even at some point, we <laughs> we made the mistake of lighting two small candles we had there that uh, slowly took up our oxygen. <laughs> um, and and because we really needed to see,
4: and yeah, and
2: we yeah.
4: We really needed to see, and we have no light and. No battery?
2: Yeah, we were running out of battery, and then um, at some point I realized that Gali had a certain uh, phone cable that can charge off of other people's phones, so we kind of used their phones as like portable chargers, so that helped. Um,
1: we all just gave our phones to charge. Uh, we charged Gali's phone with our phones because our phones were just iron and... He's in no use. Um, uh, Okay. Um, (laughs) It went on and on and on. At some point during the night, I fell asleep and Gali just went on and on. Gali, please tell us what you did while I was sleeping.
4: Whilst I was sleeping, I was still talking with the soldiers. Um, At some point um, during the night, I think, uh, at some point during the night, um,
2: I <laughs> I remember that I had um, like a LED light chain thing in my bag that worked on batteries, and and that's how we had some light, <laughs> and and yeah we and we had that light on for the
4: rest of the. So this light was so helpful, and I was the soldier that came in saturday morning to our house give me his phone number and he probably give my phone number to a lot of soldiers a lot of other soldiers because i keep getting phone calls from the air force and every special <laughs> unit in <Yeah>. the army <laughs> like a lot of really crazy and and they all know my name, and I have no idea who I'm talking to, but all I'm trying to do is help. And all the messages that I get from my friends, it's like we have terrorists, please help us. And I have no way to help them except talking with the soldiers. So in one point, one point, I got a phone call and They told me there is a lot of terrorists outside our house and there is also um, soldiers just fighting them. And they asked, how are we? (laughs) Like, how are you? And they asked if we're, like, in a really... Like, if we really,
2: really... Like, how long can we last if we really, really Mm -hmm. need, like, rescuing?
4: Like, they needed to... To
2: like
3: prioritize, prioritize who would they rescue?
4: And Mm -hmm. we were all um, kind
2: of telling her uh, to tell them that we We have no air
4: and we have no light, light. Yeah. And we are so afraid, but but none of us is injured. Yeah. Like we are all healthy. And I get messages from friends that got shot and I'm telling to the army like leave us leave us go to someone else because we are gonna be fine I mean not for a long time but it's not like rush people are doing worse than us Mm -hmm. there is worse situations like we're so afraid we're shaking um, in some point I, I really like wrote a goodbye letter from my family. We was hopeless but I still know that people need better rescue um,
2: I think at that point just to pinpoint the time it was I think uh, it was already Sunday and oh, It was already Sunday, uh, very early in the morning. It was like 7 a.m., I think. And at that point, I think in the night, uh, between Saturday and Sunday, we had uh, ran out of water. And we were all starting to feel the really trouble breathing. We forgot to mention that the night before, um, uh, on Saturday still, at about uh, 11, 12 uh, a.m.,
1: uh, yeah, between 12 and 1 and even on the night between Saturday and Sunday, soldiers came in the room. Um, they told us to slowly open the door, telling us that they're pointing weapons in us, but don't be afraid, we're not going to shoot you. We are the army. We asked them for a password because there at that a- time, we, what we realized was that the terrorists who killed other members of the kibbutz Already, were they took their phones and translated them into Arabic, and they knew what was going on in in the WhatsApp groups. So that was uh, very dangerous for us because the terrorists now are in our WhatsApp groups. So we created and we created their passwords uh, to know whether the terrorists or uh, soldiers coming to the door. So uh, during the night, soldiers came to our door, we asked them for the password. Once they told us the password, they told us, we're opening the door slowly, but we're holding weapons against you, but don't worry, we're not uh, going to kill you. And that what happened. They opened the door. Um, apparently, uh, uh, Later on, I found out that they were afraid that we are hostages. That's why they pointed weapons at us. Uh, they told us that they are um, a group, a the, the squad who is clearing the house from terrorists and soon enough, we're going to be rescued. At one o'clock during the night, I heard the rescuing vehicle coming uh, near the house, rescuing all my neighbors, the ones who stayed alive because most of them, my neighbors were already dead. But the few of them who were still alive, they rescued and they didn't get to us, they didn't come to us. That was very despairing for a, for a while. That's when I got, uh, fell asleep, and Gali h- held on uh, the connection with the soldiers. Sunday, I think about, um, about 10 o'clock, uh, there was again a terrorist uh, yeah, in the house.
2: and about, um, n- no, and about, and about um, I think during the whole morning, Gali was still communicating with basically the whole army um she was in contact with people from every special unit and do you want to tell about like the people um so while we were um while we were uh still in contact with people people like in contact with the special units gali was um we were told that we were gonna get rescued really soon, and and they told us that they kind of like have eyes on our house, and then at about, uh, and then at about um, I would say like 1 p.m. Uh, Sunday, um, we we heard a knocking on the door. That's that was really right after they told us that we were gonna get rescued really soon so we thought it was the soldiers and we my uncle started yelling at them who is it who is it and no one was answering
1: so we didn't open the door later on there was again shooting and fighting all over the place and uh i think we're getting already to three o'clock in the afternoon three o'clock three fifteen, 15 sunday um afternoon, three, uh, 3.30. Uh, again, soldiers in the house. And again, the whole drill of uh, open the door, we are pointing weapons at you. And they opened the door and they asked us, how many are you? Uh, we said, we have five. And they said, are there any other civilians in the house? We said, no, as far as we know, we are only us, the five of us, in this sheltered room. So they said, close the door and don't open it until we open it again. Uh, and they did whatever they did in the house. And then they came back to us and asked us, how many are you? And we said, we are five. So they closed the door again and again for a couple of times. On the fourth time, they came, they opened the door, and they said, listen, um, there are, the terrorists were hiding uh, inside this house. Um, but we are going to get you out anyway. Um, You have to do exactly what we're telling you to do. And like eight or 10 soldiers stood as a wall between the door of the sheltered room to the backyard with a broken window, with a broken door. And behind them, soldiers already shooting inside the house. And they told us one by one to run out, almost crawl out of the house. And we just did that. Um, and when
4: one of the soldiers like, told us to get out, I was calling Mika and she didn't answer and i was like pulling her leg she was under the bed and no reaction uh i was
2: uh really dehydrated and i was under the bed like the whole night i think i only felt safe under the bed i wouldn't let myself fall asleep outside of it and so i had like so it was getting really hard to breathe and i i ate nothing and and yeah at that point i was passed out under the bed right when the soldiers came and my mom was able to like shake me shake me up and like uh, wake me and and yeah and we left and and like i uh, i got up and and
4: that's when we had to like leave right before they came i like really really thought it's the end cuz we didn't know it's the soldiers and we heard so much screaming that i wrote to my mom that i love her and that she should be strong and that i'm watching there from up there because i really really thought i'm gonna die yeah so i wrote to my mom and my brothers and also my dad that i love everyone and and yeah. that I'm i'm okay I just, I like really came to terms with it.
2: Yeah. Um, personally, I was just, um, I was just preparing myself for the moment. I just didn't want to be like alarmed when they when they will ca- come in the door, the, like the terrorists. I was just preparing myself for that, and I was like covering my ears and um, waiting for it to be over, and waiting for it to either be over or. For it to, for like, <laughs> for them to uh, not see me and Gali, and for us to be able to like uh, survive and maybe like treat uh, and like the wounded like fam- our wounded family, and uh, yeah, let's carry on. <laughs> when we got rescued.
1: But as you see, we're all here, so we did get out. <laughs>
4: When we find out it was the soldiers, it was so, I don't know, it was like a light. Yeah, I, I don't have a words to describe it, but we sought only ourselves and darkness for so many hours, without an air, that when the soldiers came, it was like a miracle. Even though we were all um dizzy and
2: and like dizzy and like um fatigued yeah, that and like dehydrated and and whatever, and we all i feel like personally and i I guess I'm guessing that all of us felt just this amazing sense of relief that um that I've never felt before, and it just kind of got me like from being dizzy and passed out to being fully myself and fully like awake and yeah
1: one last thing that I want to tell you is that uh, I told you before that I have another son in the kibbutz uh, with two kids and wife Uh, my two other grandchildren are seven and nine and they were also in the kibbutz hiding in their sheltered room Um, the last time I had a connection with them was Saturday afternoon uh, before uh, we lost connection at that point, I asked them, Dekel, what's going on with you? Are you okay? Is everything uh, okay with you? Are you still alive? And he said, yes, we hear uh, shootings, but there are no terrorists in the house. Uh, the kids are watching cartoons on the computer. Um, my wife is on this, on, uh, taking a nap and I'm holding the door. I've got to tell you that uh, um, thinking back I realized that I was pausing, I paused on that picture for 25 long hours uh, because I had no connection with them and I didn't know what was going on with them. Uh, But all I could do at that point is pausing on that picture of the two, of my two grandchildren watching cartoons on, on the computer. And yeah, that gave me hope. Uh, that they're still alive and Kaolina is all, n- taking a nap on the sofa and Decker is holding the door and I paused on that for, 20 long, for 25 long hours until I, I heard that they, they were rescued and they were safe. Um,
2: on that, at that time, like a little bit before we got rescued, Gali's mother Mazi um, had been rescued just just a couple hours uh, before us, and she was in the where she was in the gas station where all the people that got rescued were, and with a lot of soldiers as well. And she was asking, uh, she was she was just trying to charge her phone and asking her son. Uh, I need to charge my phone, I need to find out where Gali is, I need to make sure she's okay. And, and the soldier that was sitting there heard her and, and asked her, which Gali?
4: And, and she's like shocked, she's telling him. And my mom was like, who are you, what, like, what do you want, Like, yeah. let, me, let me talk with my daughter. She's
2: my daughter, she's at her grandmother's house, like what? And he goes, our Gali?
4: and. <laughs> And then and he, he show- opened his phone and he showed her a picture of me. <laughs> he showed her um, Dali's profile picture on
2: WhatsApp, and and he and she says yes, that's my daughter. And he says she's not out yet. Okay, let me handle it. And he goes and uh, and helps and helps around. I'm guessing he helped a lot with us getting rescued.
3: This was before.
0: And this is how a teenager with a cell phone helped save a
1: kibbutz. And
3: this was right before the Air Force called you, right, darling?: yeah.
2: yeah.
0: Well, tell us a little bit, obviously, thank you so much, that... I mean, to relive the, the horror of that event, it can't be easy. And you guys have displayed incredible braveness. And I told them this earlier this morning, but I want to say to them again in your presence, I, I, I do believe that all of you women are strong. You're heroes, like I said. And you carry an Esther anointing. And you know Esther from the Old Testament. And... How the Bible says she was raised up for such a time as this, and God used each one of you. I believe he's using you, Danielle, in the Jewish Agency, uh, Gali, he clearly used you and your cell phone. And, and then she told me that she was in a, a, a Queen Esther play. Tell, tell them just, just real quickly about... They had, a, they had a contest to see who was going to be Queen Esther for Purim. But instead of a beauty contest, what kind of contest did you run?
4: We have like every child that came to his bar mitzvah Um, of the children in bar mitzvah Mitzvah age, like doing a show of Megillat esther, and the concept was a ninja.
0: (laughs) A ninja. Whoever was the best ninja got to be Esther, right. so I love it's it. It's like
4: the Ninja Warrior contest N- thing. Yeah. Whoever is the best ninja uh, gets to marry. Gets to marry Dip then.
0: <laughs> That's <laughs> great. In English. Well, they did have to, because the terrorists were hiding in your house, the IDF had to blow up their house after they were evacuated. And so much of your home, your neighborhood, your friends, it's, it's no longer there. You guys are living right now in another kibbutz near Tel Aviv. Um,
1: yeah, they evacuated our kibbutz uh, to another kibbutz and now we ho- we're holding a kibbutz within a kibbutz and uh, we're still uh, managing our community life. That's in your house, their house, by the way.
0: So that's their house. Now, Gali, you had told me, I asked you about survived. your hopes. I, ho- I asked for your hopes for the future and Do you want to go back? Can you just speak to that?
4: I do want to go back to the kibbutz. I just hope that I can ever feel safe there, but I miss my home.
0: They want to go back. They want to rebuild. Obviously, a lot has to happen, and Daniel, I was wondering if you might speak to this. Um, Obviously Israel, since its birth in 1948, has dealt with war, and the Six-Day War, the Yom Kippur War. And there have been so many others, but there's something about this particular war that has a different feel to it. And can you just speak to that for us?
3: Yes. So what Leo Mika and Gali went through is something that no civilian, no community in Israel went through since 1948. In all of Israel's wars, as harsh as they were, and as precious lives were taken, the war never reached the home front in the same way that it reached on October 7th. It was never a situation that the majority of the casualties were civilians. In the Yom Kippur War, which is considered the harshest war of Israel, that almost cites destruction, Not a single civilian was killed. Everyone who was killed or wounded were people that were enlisted to fight as soldiers. So what happened now is something that Israel has never seen. And just to put it also in perspective of what the Jewish Agency has been doing, for 21 years the Jewish Agency has had a fund for victims of terror a fund that was established for the sole purpose of being able to support victims of terror, to say to them, on the worst day of your life, we are going to be here with you to give you urgent support that you need, to be able to give you a cash grant, to be able to say to you, you are not alone. There are many people around the world that maybe never met you or never will meet you, but they care about you and you are not alone, and we will be here for you for the next three years to come. In 21 years, the fund has supported 9,000 individuals and families. In 21 years. And here, in just the scope of one day, the fund has to now assist almost 10,000 new victims of terror. In just one day. And that is just one small way of showing how horrible this crisis is and in what a state of need Israel and its people are.
0: Thank you for speaking to that. Would you just elaborate a little bit more? Tell us about the Jewish agency, some of the the work that you guys are doing specifically, maybe share some of the stories.
3: So, you know, when the, when the war started on October 7th, so I was nowhere near to the circumstances that the Oramika and Gali were. I was in my home in Modi'in, and not believing the sights that, that were unfolding before our eyes, on TV, on our cell phones. The sirens also reached the, the city of Modi'in, and hearing what was happening in the south, you know, I quickly realized the door to my safe room doesn't lock. I don't have a single place in my home to hide and as those thoughts were going through my head and I was sending text messages to friends and family members that live in the area to see what is their situation, already by 10 a.m. we had our first executive emergency call at the Jewish agency and we set into action our work. First, we were trying to reach all the people that are directly in our care, Holocaust survivors and poor elderly that are living in Jewish agency homes in the south, including in the city of Ofakim that was under attack. Some 4,000 new immigrants, new olim to Israel, about 600 of them living right outside of Stirot. We sent in our staff under fire to make sure that they are safe. And we immediately started contacting the hospitals, the IDF, the different municipalities to find how we can reach now the victims of terror and to be able to give them emergency assistance. In the days and the weeks that followed, we have already reached over 6,000 victims of terror to give them emergency assistance. We have reached over 1,000 businesses to be able to give them emergency grants. Many of the people that live in the south, also in Kibbutz Kfar Aza, they have their own small business. They're not able to work at this time. They need something to be able to keep up their livelihood. And we are in the process of supporting all of the communities in the south and also the communities that are evacuated from the north to be able to give those municipalities and those communities emergency humanitarian assistance that they can give support to their people as best that is needed. And what we are saying is that we have been here since 1929. We have been here to establish the state of Israel. We were with these communities. Many of them were actually established by the Jewish agency already back in 1946 when we were working to ensure that the borders of the future state of Israel would include the Western Negev. And we are not going anywhere. We are going to be here for all of these victims, for people like Leora and her family and for their communities for at least the next three years to ensure that they can be rebuilt, that anyone who wishes to go back, and we hope and pray that the security conditions will allow them to go back, that we will be there working hand in hand with the government and with the communities to physically rebuild them and to also rebuild the communities themselves as far as their resiliency and their faith to restore the promise, to restore the promise to the people in the land of Israel
0: amen and I wanted to say this so we didn't receive a tither and offering this evening however as you're leaving you'll notice that scattered around on the the walls on the back walls uh, we have these little uh, bo- uh, boxes called agape boxes there are also a few of them that are stationed in our foyer on our your way out anything that you give Tonight, we're going to use it as a donation to the Jewish agency to help families like the Ilon family. So anything you give tonight will go directly through our Nehemiah Fund to our partners in Israel. So praise the Lord for that. Thank you guys for that. And we've got just a couple of minutes left. Here's how I want to use our time. We're a church that prays. We believe in prayer. And so on the screen behind me, you'll see a few prayer prompts. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to get in groups of three to five, maybe a row, turn around. Uh, let's get in small groups and let's pray for hope and healing. You can pray for the Elon family. You can pray for Danielle and the work that the Jewish agency is doing. We, we want to pray for the return of the hostages. Amen each and every one of them. We want to pray that they are brought home safe and sound. We want to pray for all the families that have been impacted and affected from this war on all sides. And we also secondly want to pray for wisdom and strength, courage for the soldiers, wisdom for the leadership, Benjamin Netanyahu, our own president, and all the world leaders who are making decisions that will impact the future. And then we third and finally want to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. This comes straight from the word of God. Psalm 122, verse 6 says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord, I will seek your prosperity. So let's just go ahead and do that now. Break up into groups. Let's pray. Let's pray fervently and passionately, and then I'll close us in just a minute. All right, if you could just give me your attention up here. Let's all just take our hands. Let's extend them towards the stage and towards these beautiful, brave women. And let's bless them together. Thank you, Lord, for being here in this house tonight. We sense your presence. You are the true guest of honor, and we welcome you here tonight. And we thank you for bringing our guests, our friends, these heroes from the land of Israel into our living room. And we honor them tonight. We bless you for the heroes that you are. We thank you for your bravery. We thank you for uh, your strength and you are stronger than you know. I speak the words over you that the Lord spoke to Joshua generations ago. Be strong and courageous for the Lord your God is with you. We bless you, we love you, we want you to know that you have friends here in America, in the church, Christian friends who stand with you in solidarity. We support you and we bless you. In the Lord's name we pray together and all God's people said, amen, amen. And Gali? Gali has something she wants to say to everyone.
4: I just want to tell you that it's my the greatest person I've ever known, and I wish each of you to know a person that will be your safe place, like my dad.
0: You guys know what's coming. We close all of our services around here the same way, and we just want to bless you, we want to honor you. This, this song It's born straight out of God's heart. It's what God speaks over his people. His desire is is that they would be blessed, that they would know the the countenance of his shining face that, that is towards them. And so we sing this over you tonight. The Lord bless thee. The Lord bless thee. And keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee and be gracious Unto thee, the Lord lift up, Lord lift up. His, countenance His countenance upon, upon thee, thee and give thee peace. Amen. God bless you, ladies. Thank all of you for being here tonight. God bless you. Let's continue to pray for the safe return of the hostages and for the peace of Jerusalem and for our friends in Israel. God bless you. Thank you for coming.